Well, let me add my welcome and thank you for worshiping with us today. Today is a very happy day. It's an exciting day for two reasons. Number one, this is the last day that we're going to have to have a service in this room with no people. And so we're all excited about next Sunday morning when uh, people will be in this room. And uh, I know it won't be quite like it was before because we'll still be social distancing and things like that. But nonetheless, we'll be back in church together. And so this is a happy day, uh, at least for us, because we're glad and excited about having you guys back in this room with us. But it's also a happy day for another reason, and that is today we finally finish the Great Tribulation. And I have a feeling that if I said that to a room full of people, people would start clapping and think, we are so glad and so ready to be finished studying the Great Tribulation. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people say they love the book of Revelation, and we all love the book of Revelation. But of the 22 chapters in this book, 13 of them are about the Great Tribulation. And so that is a very heavy uh, part of the book and heavy material and a big part of the book. And so today, as we uh, do this sermon, we will be done with the tribulation. And so I am super excited about that. And so whenever we do pick up our study in Revelation in a few weeks from now, uh, we'll be studying about the marriage supper of the Lamb and the battle of Armageddon and all the millennium and then ultimately about heaven. And so the tune and the tenor of this series really picks up. But we've got one more sermon that we've got to cover today. So if you have your Bible, I wish you would open it to the book of Revelation in chapter number 18. Now, as I said last week, chapters 17 and 18 do not give us any additional judgments that will come on the earth during the Great Tribulation. The judgments end at the end of chapter 16 with the bold judgments. But what we have in Revelation 17 and 18 are some highlights of things that will be happening during that seven-year period, during the seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments. And so last week in chapter 17, we, we talked about false religion because the Great Tribulation will be characterized by false religion. People will be worshiping everybody but God. And at the midpoint of the tribulation, the Antichrist will demand that everybody will worship him. And so there'll be some dirty politics mixed in with that false religion. Because remember what I said at the beginning of the tribulation, the Antichrist will make a peace treaty specifically with the nation of Israel. He will allow them to rebuild their temple and say, y'all can worship your God. And everybody will have the freedom to worship their God. But midway through the tribulation period, and we read about this, by the way, in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. Daniel 9, 27 says that at the midpoint of the tribulation, the Antichrist will break his covenant and he will demand that everyone worship him. In Revelation 13, we saw that it is at this point in the tribulation that he will demand people take the mark of the beast, the number 666, either on their hand or on their forehead. And if you don't have the mark of the beast, you can't buy food, you can't buy groceries, you can't function normally in society. And not only that, as the tribulation period comes to an end, if you don't have the mark of the beast, the Antichrist is going to kill you. So it's dirty politics and it's false religion. Now, in chapter number 18, which is where we are this morning, we're reading more about this place called Babylon. And Babylon is the main uh, place of, and the main subject of Revelation chapter number 18. Now, the city Babylon is a very interesting city in the Bible. In fact, other than Jerusalem itself... Babylon is the most mentioned city 
in the Bible. Did you know that it is mentioned 287 times in the Bible and there's never a good reference to it? All the mentionings and all the references to Babylon are negative because it has always been an evil, wicked, sinful place. And during the tribulation, it is, that, it is in this place, in this location, that the Antichrist will set up his financial empire. And so when we think of uh, the financial empire today in our world, we think about Wall Street. Well, during the Great Tribulation, the Wall Street of the world will be Babylon. Now, Babylon is both a city and a system. And I want to develop that in just a moment. But first, let's talk about the city. There's some who believe, in fact, David Jeremiah pastors out in San Diego, California, and is really a, an authority on the book of Revelation, the end time studies. He believes that Baghdad, which is a city 50 miles south uh, I'm sorry, Babylon, which is a city 50 miles south of Baghdad in modern-day Iraq, he believes that Babylon will be rebuilt during the tribulation period, and that physical place, that exact city, will be where the Antichrist will headquarter his financial empire. Dr. Jeremiah also believes that Rome, the city of Rome, will be the place where the Antichrist will uh, headquarter his political empire. And he, he says that based on a verse we looked at last week in chapter 17 and verse 9 as it describes a city that is sitting on seven mountains or seven hills. And that's commonly a way that the city of Rome is referred to. And then Dr. Jeremiah believes that the city of Jerusalem will be where the Antichrist will headquarter his religious empire. So think about that. Jerusalem is where the religious world and center of the Antichrist's reign will be. And I do believe that's certainly true. I don't think anybody would question that because it is in Jerusalem in the rebuilt temple where the Antichrist will go and sit himself in the most holy place, the place reserved for God. And the Antichrist will demand to be worshiped. So to say that Jerusalem will be the religious center for the Antichrist during the tribulation. I don't think there's any question about that. Rome being the political uh, center makes sense. Babylon being the uh, financial center makes sense. I'm not 100% sure if, if, those, if Rome and Babylon will be the actual cities or if, it are, if it's other cities and the Bible is using the name Babylon just to describe wickedness and evil. For example, we have in 1 Peter chapter 5 in verse 13, Peter is writing a letter from Rome and he describes Rome as Babylon. And so sometimes in the Bible, the name Babylon is used not necessarily to describe the literal place, but it is used to describe sinfulness and wickedness and evil. And that's why I'm saying 287 references to Babylon in the Bible, none of them are good. And so today, when we come to chapter 18, whether we are reading about a rebuilt Babylon 50 miles south of Baghdad or whether the mention of Babylon is referring to some other geographical location. I don't know that for sure, but I know this. The, the place that is being described in Revelation chapter 18, it is a city and it is a system. It's not just a place, it is a system and it is a mindset. And so just like we read last week in 1 John 
There's the Antichrist, but there are also other Antichrists who are out in the world who don't believe in Jesus. There's the spirit of Antichrist in the world today. And last week we said that all false religion is, is characterized by those who do not confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, in the same way that there's a spirit of Antichrist, there's also a spirit of Babylon today. And that's why, to me, whether... The reference here to Babylon is the exact location of the Babylon in Bible times or some other location. That's not the most important thing. The most important thing we understand is when the Antichrist sets up his kingdom, and this morning we're looking specifically at the financial empire that he will set up, it is characterized by wickedness, evil, and sin. And so what I want to do at this point is to give you a definition for the spirit of Babylon. Wherever it is, I want to give you a definition for the spirit of Babylon. And as I describe this, I think you will agree that this spirit is already present in the world today. It is obviously present. And during the tribulation, it will become even more so. So what is the spirit of Babylon? It is a mindset that believes that the purpose of life is to make a lot of money, to own a lot of things, and to have a lot of fun. Now, I want to say that again. And you see it on your screen. You might want to jot that down. What is the spirit of Babylon? It is a mindset that believes that the purpose of life is to make a lot of money, to own a lot of things, and to have a lot of fun. Now, we don't have to be living during the Great Tribulation to see that spirit of Babylon in the world today. But do you notice one thing obviously missing from that spirit of Babylon? I mean, it's so obvious you can't miss it. G-O-D. There's no God in the spirit of Babylon. It's all about me, and it's all about money, and it's all about how much I own, and it's all about how well I live, and it's all about having more money and having more lands and having more things. Me, 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 me. More, 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 more. And it's all about whatever makes me happy. And during the tribulation, this will become more and more. And so as we think today about Babylon, and we're going to work our way through, and we can do it fairly quickly, we're going to work our way through Revelation chapter 18. But as we think, our, think about Babylon, I want to make two statements this morning about it. First, first of all, Babylon is a wicked, wicked place. Now in chapter number 18, look with me beginning in verse number one, Babylon is a wicked place. Verse 1, after these things, John said, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. And so any description of evil that you can imagine is, is accurate when describing Babylon. That's what uh, this angel here is giving. Verse 3, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. When it's talking about fornication with Babylon, what it's really talking about there is just worshiping other gods, a life that is void and empty of God. And so it's spiritual adultery. And here it's referred to as spiritual fornication. It is a wicked place. Look in verse number five. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered 
her iniquities. Do you remember back in Genesis chapter 11, the beginning of Babylon, where the people said, let's build up a tower that reaches up into the heavens. Let's build a name for ourselves. And God came down and destroyed that tower and scattered all the people. And that city was called Babel because you couldn't understand what people were saying. He confused all their languages. Well, that was the birthplace of Babylon. Babel in the Bible and Babylon, it's the same place. And it means confused and confusing because that's what it is. Everybody's confused about God and who to worship and how to live their lives. Well, in chapter 18 now of Revelation, it's not talking about a tower being built up that reaches up into the heavens. It's talking about the people's sins. Their sins have reached up higher than that tower ever was able to reach up, and now their sins have reached heaven. It's like a tower of sin that has reached heaven. And again, look at the end of verse 5. It says, and God has remembered her iniquities. Now, those of us who are saved, thankfully, that will never be said of us. Because it says in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 34, God said, I will remember their sins no more. When we confess our sins to God, when we ask Jesus Christ to forgive our sins, God does that. He forgives us. He cleanses us. He washes those sins away. He casts those sins behind his back into the depths of the sea. And he forgets those sins and he doesn't remember them anymore. But for those who've never been saved, it's the opposite. Here it says, God has remembered her iniquities. I cannot imagine anything worse than to one day stand before God in judgment and for God to remember all of my sins. I'm so thankful that God has forgiven all of my sins and forgotten my sins. And when I sin now, I confess and repent and ask Him to forgive me. And He's faithful and just to cleanse me of my sins uh, and all, uh, cleanse me of all of that unrighteousness. And the same is true for you. But many one day will stand before God at the great white throne judgment. And we'll be studying that in a few weeks, the final judgment of the unsaved. And God, as He is judging the lives of those who have rejected Jesus Christ, will remember every sin they ever committed, every evil thought they ever had, every unkind word they ever spoke, every evil and wicked act that they ever did. They may have forgotten some of their own sins, but God will remember all of them, and God will judge them. And so here it just makes me cringe and almost just gives me shivers to think about what it's saying here, that God has remembered her iniquities, and God will, will, will not forget those, and God will judge those. So first thing I'm saying here today is that Babylon is a very wicked place. The second thing I would say, not only is Babylon a wicked place, Babylon is a waning place. Babylon is not going to last forever. Now, what we saw last week in Revelation chapter 17 we saw that the Antichrist, after he had given everybody the freedom to worship, to worship whoever they wanted to worship, midway through says, now you have to worship me. And the people who don't worship the Antichrist, the Antichrist is going to kill. And so he, he's evil and it is dirty, dirty, dirty politics. Well, in chapter 18, we see it's a little bit different. Because in 18, it is God himself who is destroying Babylon. In chapter 17, God used the Antichrist and God used the, the puppet kings that went along with his empire to destroy uh, the sinful people in the world. But in chapter 18, there are other people who've not been judged and punished yet. And now God himself takes it upon himself to perform this judgment himself. And so I say that Babylon is a waning. You say, John, what do you mean by waning? Here's what I'm saying. The spirit of Babylon, the purpose of life is to make a lot of money 
to own a lot of things, and to have a lot of fun. What I'm saying to you is that's waning. That is going away. That is, that is not going to last forever. And so you have to look at how you're living your life and have to look at how I'm living mine. And if that's how we're living our life, we are sailing a sinking ship because we're, that, that life one day will come to an end and God himself will see to it. So look with me beginning in verse number six as we get a description here of how God is going to bring the financial empire of the Antichrist to a sudden crashing end. As I said earlier, it is the, the stock market crash to end all stock market crashes. The stock market will completely bottom out. Now, in our lifetimes, we've seen what they call stock market crashes, but the market always comes back. When this one crashes, it will not be coming back at all. And you say, well, if you're living during this time, it'd be better to have your money in the bank. It, it, your money will be of no value in the bank. Your money would be of no value under your mattress. Because when God gets finished destroying the financial empire, your money will be worthless and you can't do anything with it. There's not even anything to buy anymore. So look in verse number six. Render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. And so the Antichrist and this, this wicked financial empire is, is basically saying, I'm the queen of the world. I'm running, I'm running the world. That's the attitude in Babylon. I'm not sad. I'm not sorrowful. I'm not like a widow. And yet Babylon is a widow actually in, in, a, in a very bad way because Babylon has forsaken the Lord. I think about what it says in Isaiah chapter 54 in verses 4 and 5 about widows who know God personally. And it says for these ladies who have lost their husbands that God will be their husband. And so they're widows, humanly speaking, but in a spiritual sense, God is their husband. God is their provider. God is their protector. God pays extra close attention to widows. And now during this time, the spirit of Babylon says, I'm not a widow. Don't, you know, no sorrow here, no sadness here. And actually Babylon is a widow because Babylon has forsaken God. And so look in verse eight, therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. And so the Bible is saying this financial empire that has ruled the world is coming down in one day. Just like, it won't be a gradual thing like that. No, the stock market's going to fall in one day. Let's read on. It even go, it's going to fall faster than that. Verse 9, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and live luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. So the city is literally going to be destroyed. Standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Now, a moment ago, it said in one day, but now it's even getting more specific and it's saying in one hour, your judgment has come and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her for no one buys their merchandise anymore. They don't buy it because they've lost their money. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen. And in verses 12 and 13, 28 different commodities are mentioned here. And it's saying that 
it is of no value. No one is buying and no one is selling. The empire has fallen. Verse 14, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. Now watch verse 17. For in one hour, such riches came to nothing. That is in one hour, all the money has disappeared. The value of that money uh, is, is nothing now. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. Here it is again. For in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Now look in verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city of Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. Now, in verses 22 and 23, I want to read these, but as I do, I want you to be listening and thinking about all the things on the earth that just normally happen in life that will no longer be happening. Before we read the verses, let me just highlight this for you. At this point in the, in the tribulation, there will be no more music. There will be no more industry, no more, no more work going on. There will be no more preparing of food. We're going to read a phrase here about uh, a millstone that is not working. A millstone was used to grind grain, but at this point in the tribulation, nobody's preparing food. That's what I'm saying. Like even if somebody, for the sake of the argument, had had put their money in their under their mattress, said, well, "I've got my money. I didn't lose it in the stock market." What are you going to do with your money? Because now there's nobody making food for you to go out and buy. It's all and there's no more industry. There's nothing at this point for you to buy. There's no more power for lights. So it's, the world will be dark. And we read during some of the earlier judgments how darkness will come on the earth. And so at this point, John is kind of going back and highlighting that there's no more power for lights. There will be no more weddings taking place. Weddings are one of the happiest occasions in the world. But not during this time. There won't be any more weddings because there's, no, there's nobody celebrating. Now, I've given you what we're going to uh, find out. But look in verse 22 and 23, because they say it, John says it even in a clear way. The sound of harpist, musicians, flutist, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. Now nobody's even doing any work. Earlier they said, we've got all this stuff and nobody can buy it. And now they're saying they're not even making it anymore. No craftsman shall be found in you anymore. Now there's nobody even to buy from. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. That is the grinding of grain gone silent. Verse 23, the light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. And so now what we're seeing is the tables are being turned. 
this spirit of Antichrist, this spirit of Babylon, this evil empire that has a political aspect, a religious aspect, and a financial aspect that has persecuted and executed the people of God, those who were saved during the tribulation, who refused to take the mark of the beast, who gave their hearts to Jesus Christ, and yet because of their faith in Christ, they were persecuted by the Antichrist and by this evil empire. Now the tables have turned, again in verse 24, and in her was found the blood of all the prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. And now as they have done, it is being done unto them. The, the, the stone that they rolled against the people of God is now being rolled against them. And we see the judgment and we see the justice of God as He Himself is dealing with, and, and not just dealing with, judging, punishing, and destroying those who have rejected Him and who have persecuted His people. Now, I wish you would turn back to Revelation chapter number 6 because I want to show you just a few verses that we looked at months and months ago earlier in our study of the Great Tribulation, because as I said, the Great Tribulation is described from chapters 6 through chapter 18. And so when we were just beginning our study months ago, we came down in Revelation chapter 6 to verse number 9, which is one of the seal judgments. Remember back then, they were, the seals were being opened in heaven, and each seal represented a judgment. Well, the fifth seal is talking about the cry of the martyrs. That is, those who have been killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now look in verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, that is Jesus, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, now here's their question, how long, O Lord, holy and true? until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. And so the, these are people who've been killed for their faith in Jesus Christ by this spirit of antichrist, by this anti-God sentiment, by those who hate Jesus Christ. And so they've killed many of the people of God and the people of God who were killed, they're now in heaven. But their, their question is, God, how long? How long until you judge those for what they did to us? God, how long? This is not right. How long until you vindicate us? How long, God, until you show yourself righteous? How long, God, until the tables are turned? What did God say in answer to that question? A little while longer. A little while, not yet, not now, but it will happen. Now, when we go back to chapter 18, we find that is when it will happen. And so in chapter 6, they're saying, God, how long, how long, how long? A little while longer. In chapter 18, time is up. The time has come. The judgment of God has fallen in one day and even quicker than that. In one hour, what has God done? He is making every wrong right. One of the best quotes I ever read years ago about the judgment of God says this. It says, the wheels of God's judgment grind slowly but they grind exceedingly fine. Or maybe it says it, maybe I can say it even in a more accurate way. The wheels of God's judgment turn slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine. And so sometimes in life, there is an injustice. 
And sometimes in life, uh, the people of God in some cases are killed, in other cases are persecuted, in other cases are maligned, in other cases are threatened, in other cases it's like all hell has broken loose against these people. And, and we wonder sometimes, God, how long until you make it right? God says, just a little while longer. I will make it right. In one day, in one hour, the evil empire will come down and the judgment will come on them. And the evil that they have done for you will now come back on them. And so this is what is happening in Revelation chapter 18. In one hour, God is making every wrong right. That quote is a sobering, a sobering quote. The wheels of God's justice turn slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine. And it's interesting. We should never pray for God to... To judge, we should always pray for God to forgive and for God to be merciful. But it's interesting here in Revelation chapter 18, when God begins to judge and then when God ends his judgment. In fact, if you look back in verse 20 of, of chapter 18, it says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. And so at this point, even the people in heaven are rejoicing. That justice has been served, that, that, that right has been done, that vengeance has been carried out, and that God has righted all the wrongs that have happened up until this point. The wheels of God's judgment turn slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine. Now, as we come to the end of this sermon today and, towards the, and to the end, not towards the end, but to the end, thankfully, of our study on the Great Tribulation, you say, John... Is there a takeaway from us today? We're not living during the Great Tribulation. And for those of us who are saved, thank God, we won't have to endure the Great Tribulation. We have given our hearts to Jesus. And before this ever happens, he's going to take us out of here at the rapture of the church. But John, as you, you've explained today about the, the financial empire, this, this spirit of Babylon, Babylon itself, and how God's going to one day judge that and bring it to an end. Is there any takeaway for us today? Is there anything that we could apply to our lives right here and right now? And I believe there is. And so I want to give you not two or three or four or five, but I want to give you one takeaway, one thing that you can do in light of what we've studied this morning in Revelation chapter 18 that I think will be a tremendous blessing in your life. And I wish you'd just jot this down. Here it is. Come out of Babylon before it's too late come out of Babylon before it's too late. Now, if you'll go back to the first of Revelation chapter 18, there's a verse that I didn't read when we were going through this, and that is verse number four. In fact, the only other verses I didn't read, I didn't read all of verses 12 and 13 as it was describing those 28 commodities uh, during the uh, great tribulation period that nobody will be buying anymore. But I didn't even reference verse four. I saved it till here because I wanted to end this sermon by us focusing on verse number four. John said, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, here's, here's what the voice from heaven is saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. I have in my Bible those, those uh, first few words underlined, come out of her, my people. What is God saying during this spirit of Babylon during this evil financial empire where it's all about making money and owning a bunch of stuff and having a lot of fun. What does God say to his people who are living during the tribulation at this time, who've gotten saved during the tribulation? He says, come out of her, separate yourself from her, get away from her. And it reminds me of a verse, you might want to jot this down in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and in verse number 17, where the Bible says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. 
In other words, God is saying to us, even today, you're not living in the Great Tribulation, but the spirit of Antichrist and the spirit of Babylon is in the world today. God is saying to us, come out of her. Don't live your life like that. You see, in Babylon, the most important thing will be money. But listen to what the Bible says about money. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. Do not overwork to be rich. Because of your own understanding, cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? Now listen to this. For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. The Bible says don't spend your life just trying to make more money, money, money. Because one day, however much money you have, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fly away like an eagle. It's going to be gone. It's not lasting. And that's the problem with Babylon. Now, one other reference in the New Testament. I read you how Proverbs 23 says, don't spend your life just trying to make a lot of money. Well, listen to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, don't spend your whole life seeing how much money you can make. No, invest your life in eternal things. Notice what he said in verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You would think he would have said, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. In other words, whatever you're passionate about, there's where your money will follow. No, Jesus said it the other way. He said, wherever your money is, wherever your treasure is, there's where your heart's going to be. And so if the spirit of Babylon, as I defined earlier, is a mindset that believes that the purpose of life is to make a lot of money, to own a lot of things, and to have a lot of fun, God is calling us out of that. Come out from among them and be ye separate. What is God saying? God is saying, don't let your life be characterized by the spirit of Babylon that is so prevalent in the world today. And so we have to say, well, if my life's not going to be characterized by that, if the purpose of my life can't be or shouldn't be to make a lot of money, own a lot of things, and have a lot of fun, then what should the purpose of my life be? What should my mindset be? Let me close by giving you this. The mindset that you and I should have as children of God should not be to make a lot of money, own a lot of things, and have a lot of fun. Our mindset should be something altogether different from that. It should be to know God better, to love people more, and to invest our lives in that which is eternal. Think about that. What is the purpose of my life? Is my purpose to see how much money I can make? No. What is my purpose? Is my purpose as a preacher to see how many people I can preach to? Well, I hope not because for the last 10 weeks, my dad preached the first two. I've preached the last 10. But for, for these 12 weeks, we have preached to an empty room. And so if the purpose of our life is to see how many people we can preach to, we've had three pretty tough months. But I'm telling you what, the purpose of our lives is not to see how many people we can preach to. The purpose of our lives is to see if we can get to know God better than we know him already. What does it say in Jeremiah chapter 9? What did God say? Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. God said, don't boast in, in, in your successes and how much money you have and all these things. But if you're going to boast about anything, if you're going to glory in anything, glory in this that you understand and know me. Not that we understand everything about God. There's a lot about God I don't understand. 
But I do understand that there is a God and I do know God and I want to know God more. And so the purpose of my life and the purpose of yours should not be to make a lot of money, own a lot of things and have a lot of fun. The first purpose of our life should be to know God better than we've ever known God for. And that's what we were both saying in the early weeks of this coronavirus and the messages we were bringing you and what we were feeling God speaking to us in our own lives. Let's use this time. Let's don't waste this season. This virus will end. Eventually, things will, it may be a new normal, but we will get back to some sort of normal and we'll look back on this and the coronavirus will be gone. But how tragic it would be to go through this season of our life and have not used it to have gotten to know God better than we did before it started. To know, that's what Paul was saying in Philippians chapter 3, that I may know him. There's Paul in a Roman jail. And yet he's expressing the desire of his heart. He's telling us what he wants more than anything else. If I'd have been writing Philippians from a Roman prison, I'd have probably written that I may get out of this place. Man, it's dark. It's damp. I've got claustrophobia. Paul said, none of that for me, that I may know Christ, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. See, if your goal in life is to know Christ, it doesn't matter what you're going through because everything you're going through, can, going through can be used by God to help you know Him better, that I may know Him. So the first purpose of our lives is what? Is to know God better. The second pur- purpose of our lives is to love people more. Jesus said that the second greatest commandment in all of the Old Testament, the first greatest commandment or the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second commandment Jesus said is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So that, that's what we should be pursuing. God, I want to know you better. I want to love people more. God, I want to have unconditional love in my heart. No bad feelings towards anybody. No anger, no bitterness, no unforgiveness. No, no, you know, I don't really like that person. None of that. But to love people with the love of God and then to invest our lives in that which will last for all eternity. You see, the reason why the spirit of Babylon is so ridiculous And the spirit of Babylon is so short-sighted is because in one hour, it's all coming to an end. Now, that'll either happen to people when they die. You know, you could have billions of dollars. Let me ask you this question. When an unsaved billionaire dies, how much money does that man have? I'll tell you, zero. But But if a saved man dies and he has spent his life, or a saved woman dies, and she has spent her life trying to know God better, to love people more, and investing their lives in that which is eternal. In other words, that person's treasure is in heaven, so they didn't just keep their money in the bank or keep their money for themselves or spend their money on what made them happy, but they invested their money. They invested their lives in that which is eternal. What happens now when they die? They get to heaven, and God gives it all back to them. God gives it back to them in the form of heavenly rewards. And so the spirit of Babylon is short-sighted, but the spirit of the Bible, the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus is one that says, take the long look and invest your lives in things that will be around 50 years from now, 100 years from now, a thousand years from now, a million years from now. You say, John, how do we do that? Well, we do it by serving God. We do it by by, by giving to God our times, our talents, our treasures, just, we're just sending a lot of those things on ahead uh, to heaven. And when we get there, God will reward us and God will honor us and God will bless us for that. When I was a, when I was a kid, I, I heard a little poem. I guess my mom taught it to me. I would think she did or uh, maybe my dad. But I would think this would have been something that my mom had probably taught me when I was a kid. It says, it says this. 
Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. If you want one takeaway from this study of Revelation chapter 18 today, the first thing is come out of Babylon. Don't spend your life like those people will be spending their lives. But if you want even a simpler takeaway from that, just memorize that little poem. Or maybe that was something that we had on, the, on a wall in our house when Joel and I were kids growing up. I don't know how I first learned that, but it just stuck in my mind. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so I encourage you today, invest your life in that which is eternal. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also And when it's all over with and we step out into eternity, you know what we're going to step out? We're going to step out with no regrets. And we're going to step out and see a God face to face who we have known heart to heart all these years. And if we'll say, you know what, God, I want the purpose of my life to be to know you better, to love people more, and to invest my life in that which is eternal. I believe that one of these days, Jesus Christ will say to us, well done my good and faithful servant. And so with our heads bowed and eyes closed today, could we just make that our commitment and make that our prayer this morning? God, help me not to invest my life in Babylon, that which will one day come tumbling down. God, help me to invest my life in spiritual things, that which will last forever. Now some today are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you feel God leading you to make a decision for Him. Maybe this is the first one of these programs you've watched, but you feel like that God is speaking to you and you you want to be saved and you want to receive Jesus Christ and you don't want to stand before God one day with Him standing there remembering your sins. You want to stand before God one day with God having forgiven your sins because you have received Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. I want to lead you in a prayer today that you can pray. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is, this is one prayer that always gets answered with a yes. Sometimes we pray for something and God says no or wait or not now. When we pray this salvation prayer, God says, yes, now you're saved, you're forgiven. And so today, if you'd like to make that decision, would you just say this to the Lord? Say, Lord Jesus, I have sinned many times. And I'm truly sorry. I ask you now to come into my heart, forgive each of those sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart, Lord. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be, and help me to live my life for you. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen and amen. And to those of you who may have prayed prayed that prayer today, we're going to put a web address on the screen and we would encourage you to contact us right now and let us know that you prayed that prayer. And we want to get back in contact with you and help you to grow and give you some things you can read and and put you in touch with the right people and, and and to hopefully help you to find your place here at First Baptist. But if it's not here, for sure to help you to grow in your relationship with God. 
Well, as we have said at the beginning, my dad said it, I've said it, we are so excited about seeing you guys back at church next Sunday. It's going to be a fun day. My dad's going to be preaching, and he's been working on that sermon for about two weeks, so it ought to be really good, and I'm looking forward to hearing it. It's something that God has put on his heart. It should just be a, a day of great celebration and rejoicing that we can all be back together. So we're looking forward to that. We also encourage you tonight at 8 o'clock. We're still praying now for God to put this virus down and for God to bring it to an end. So join us in prayer, 10 minutes each day for that. And then the weekday devotionals at noon, they'll continue on, at least for now. So thanks for being with us today. Have a great day. Keep your hands washed, be safe, and we'll look forward to seeing you seven days from now. Bye-bye.